I'm going to invite Tim Miller forwards now, who's going to read out of Matthew 13. We're going to be looking at this section where Christ is sharing parables with the people, teaching them a bit about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Just two little short, very short uh, parables. We'll be reading verses 44 to 46. Thank you, brother. Good morning. Let's read. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. Thank you, Tim. Nice adjustment, right? Some of you are thinking after these, we've been having these long readings. Um, nice to have some short teachings. It's amazing the Word of God is like that. There are some things that take time to explain exp- and expound and tell, and then other things are just so short and to the point. It's not amazing how God's Word is. I'm going to quickly have another. Sorry, I've got this tickle that just won't go away. Well, as we come to the word, one more time, I want to pray. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful that we can come to you, that I can come to you in a moment like this when I feel very inadequate and very uh, insufficient for the task before me. I can come to you before the people as a fellow brother in Christ can come and just ask for help. Help me, God. So I open the word for your people. Help me to say it rightly. Help me to explain it as it ought to be explained. And help your people. Help all of us put these things into action. To be people who understand rightly and think rightly about who you are and what the kingdom is like. But also who embody that and live it out in our day-to-day life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm sure you've heard stories before about buried treasure. Actually, just uh, this past week, we were watching a movie as a family that had to do with some buried treasure. But as I was thinking about this, I realized this is actually a really common theme in stories and in movies. Buried treasure, some hidden treasure. As a kid, I remember playing games about buried treasure. Maybe you played a game like that. Just recently, I was on the park here in South Royalton, and a gentleman was walking around with a metal detector out on the park. And it brought back memories of a time when I was when I was young. Our family would go to the beach in the summer, and usually once a year for a long weekend, we would go and Cousins and aunts and uncles and everybody would come. It'd be, you know, 15 or 20 of us there. And, and often at some point while we were there, we would go out on the beach and see someone with a metal detector. Maybe you've had this experience before. Maybe you're one of those folks that takes a metal detector and goes to the beach from time to time. I guess the beach is a, is a kind of place where people often leave things behind or lose things. And maybe that's the the logic for why take a metal detector to to the beach. 
It's the kind of place where a piece of jewelry might fall off or a valuable item might be left by accident, right? It's also the kind of place where new and old things are constantly washing up on the shore. And so there's maybe this idea that, you know, who knows what I'll, I'll find. Maybe that's one of the reasons it's an ideal place for metal detecting. Well, if you want to read some interesting stories, you can go online and read about some of the things that people have discovered using a metal detector. All sorts of things. It's really fascinating. One story I read was, that was really great was about a volunteer archaeologist who discovered a finger bone with a gold ring still on it near the location of the Battle of Little Bighorn in Montana. Really fascinating. Some ancient golden ring that was found. Well, today our passage is going to talk a little about buried treasure. But it's a treasure that's not buried by soil. And it's treasure that cannot be found with any metal detector. This treasure's worth far exceeds anything you can obtain in this life. Its worth is greater than gold or silver. This is the treasure of all treasures, the treasure of the kingdom of God. And because this treasure that Jesus speaks of today is kingdom treasure, well, really, Jesus doesn't even really say that it is a treasure. It's like finding a treasure, right? It's kind of like the joy that someone has in finding a treasure. But because this treasure that Jesus speaks of is, is different, right, from um, what we might think of as earthly treasure, there are a number of qualities about this we can pick up on that distinguish it, that show just how unlike earthly treasures the kingdom of God is. And that's what I want to look at today. Some things that set this treasure apart from other treasures in the world. So that's what we're going to think about today. So the big idea, the big thought I want to try and, and, and get across today is because the treasure of the kingdom is unlike ordinary treasure, we must not seek after it with ordinary tools. In other words, we're not going to find this treasure like you would some other treasure. It's no ordinary treasure. This is the treasure of treasures, far greater than any you've ever heard of or any you've seen in a movie or documentary. Yet, this treasure cannot be unearthed with just some ordinary tool. No shovel, no metal detector or excavator will reveal this treasure of treasures. This takes us right to our first point now for, the, for us this morning. The treasure of the kingdom of God is unlike ordinary treasures. And the first way that we see that is that it's not buried or hidden by dirt. Something else is hiding this treasure. The way Jesus describes this field is like any ordinary field. If you read the passage, he says, man finds a treasure in a field, right? Just no additional comment. It's just a field, ordinary field. It's one that this man probably walked by or maybe walked through every day. It was common. And back in this time period, a field would have been the kind of place where valuables were stored or hidden. I mean, they didn't have banks like we think of today. So you find a field maybe that your family owns in some particular spot, some 
measure of feet from some, from, you know, some uh, object or whatever, a tree or a fence or something, and you, you put your money or whatever your valuables are there in the ground. So Jesus is speaking of a practice that would have been common and would have been easily understood by his audience. People would have done this. And Jesus takes this very common practice and applies it to the kingdom. Jesus was a master at this, taking something so commonly accepted and understood and applying it to deeper truth. And he does that here. One thing that Jesus is doing here is taking different truths about the kingdom of God and and drawing them out, different aspects or, or ways of thinking about the kingdom. And one of them here in this parable is in this parable is the idea that the kingdom of God is hidden. It's not something you see with your eyes, like a like an earthly kingdom with buildings and so on. If any of you still play uh, games like hide and go seek, you'll know that there are basically two really effective ways of hiding. You can find the very best place to hide, right? Super hard to find, which is fun to do that. And if, again, if you ever play this game or have played this game, you know that that's a, a really good tactic. Find a great spot to hide. But the downside is that once you hide in that great spot and it's been discovered, it's, not a, it's a spot that everybody's looking for the next time, right? They're going to go to that spot again, and it's no longer that great hiding spot. So that's one tactic that you can take, is to find the best hiding spot. Another effective way is to hide in plain sight, right? Just to hide in a spot that's so obvious. No one's even looking there, right? So they miss you. You just become a part of the furniture, so to speak. And this latter way, this second way, hiding in plain sight, is the way the kingdom of God is hidden. It's not the treasure that's hidden in some distant land where you have to make a long voyage or pilgrimage to discover, hidden in the absolute best possible place. No, that's not how it's hidden. The treasure of the kingdom is hidden in the common everyday field that you walk past every single day. It's hidden in your backyard. It's common. The treasure of the kingdom is the treasure that is hiding in plain sight for all to see. The reason no one sees the treasure is because it is hidden by our sins. It's hidden by our fallen nature. Our eyes can't see it. It's spiritually seen. And we can't see it because we're dark and we're fallen and we're broken and sinful. Earlier in this chapter of Matthew, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah. If you were to just look back a few verses, if you've got your Bible open, feel free to do that. Just look back uh, verses 14 and 15 roughly, I think, is, is where it's at right there in chapter 13. And he quotes the prophet Isaiah and says this. You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Jesus is pointing out the fact that the reason the treasure is concealed is not because it's buried by soil and you can't see it physically, but because human sin, our hearts are broken and dark, and it keeps us from seeing 
the treasure from seeing the kingdom of God. Our hearts are dull and hard. To see the treasure of the kingdom of God, you must repent of your sin and turn to Jesus. Turn to him in faith. You must begin seeing another way. You must be born again. Jesus told a man that came to him in the night one time, a guy named Nicodemus in John 3, that you can't even see the kingdom of God, he said, unless you're born again. There it is. You can't see it, Nicodemus. You're not going to get it unless you're born again. You must be given eyes to see. And that leads to point number two. Point number two. We're going to piece some things together as we go along here. The second way we see this treasure is not like any ordinary treasure is that it cannot be revealed by metal detectors or shovels, right? It's not hidden by dirt. Therefore, it stands to reason, you can't remove dirt to find it. It's got to be seen some other way. Since this treasure is not one that's concealed by something physical, it's concealed by something spiritual. Likewise, it can only be revealed spiritually as well. This is one of the reasons Jesus teaches in parables. This entire chapter is a series of parables. And just before our selected text for this morning, the disciples come to Jesus and ask him, why are you teaching in parables? Why don't you speak directly? Why don't you just say what you mean and mean what you say? New Englanders love that, right? You got to say what you mean, mean what you say. Well, that's not how Jesus always talked, guys. So <laughs> Jesus's response is basically that parables are a way of exposing where our hearts are. What's going on inside? It was a way of revealing faith, right? In other words, Jesus speaks in a way that requires faith to understand. Only those who have real faith will get the deeper meaning of the parable. Might be interesting to folks who don't have faith and maybe aren't trusting in God and knowing him. But they're not really understanding what Jesus is saying, not getting the deep meaning. And this is God's beautiful design. Faith levels the playing field. It eliminates all excuses. Right? These parables do. This, this way of, of, of coming to God. It eliminates excuses and levels the playing field. Scripture says everyone knows that God exists. They know his power and his divine nature through what has been made. But they suppress it and they reject it. Right? It's Romans 1. On the day when everyone stands before God and gives an account, no one will be able to say, the treasure was hidden. I couldn't find it. I was looking for it, but I couldn't find it. You didn't give me enough evidence, God. You didn't give me the map. No, evidence is there for all to see. It's in every field, every tree. It's written upon our hearts and in our, even our own very design. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. It's all around us. But you must see it with the eyes of faith. You've got to see it with the eyes of faith. So faith levels the playing field. It's not about ability or about skill or race or where you're from or intellect or gender or opportunity or income. It's not about any of those things. Today we become obsessed with all of those things things but those things are not our problem 
Our greatest problem is sin. Sin is our big problem. It's our separation from God. Sin is at the root. It's at the fountainhead, so to speak. It's it's at the head of the stream. Everything else is downstream from this great problem. Right? Our greatest problem is that we've rebelled against our king. And now we stand under his righteous judgment. That's our big problem. Our culture has become obsessed with this idea that we're victims And that our problems are caused by somebody else. Certainly we can say some of our problems are from other people, right? Amen. Let me hear some of our problems, right, are other people. We're going to agree on that, okay? But we can't say that of our deepest problems, right? Our most serious problems are not caused by somebody else. Our main problem is our own separation from God. And that's not something that someone else can be blamed for. That's on you and on me. We sinned. I sinned. Every day. Struggle with sin. Each of us has gone our own way. We've sinned in thought and word and deed and what we've done and what we've left undone. Faith concedes that point. Faith says, I agree. Faith says and acknowledges the reason... I cannot see the kingdom is because my heart is dark. Not for some other reason. Not because God has hidden it so well or because someone is keeping me from seeing it. That's really just a clever way of blame shifting and not taking responsibility, right? Faith takes responsibility for its sins, right? And its wrongdoings. The Bible also says that faith does something else. Faith realizes that it cannot do what God requires. A person with faith knows that the heart is not something that they can just will to change. God has to do something. If the well is polluted, then all the water that comes out is dirty. All of it. In some way. Even if it's a tiny little particulate. Just a little. It's still polluted, right? God must give us a new well, a new heart that will pour forth fresh, pure water. And God is pleased to do that when a person looks to Christ in faith. We're given a new heart. New desires, new longings, new objectives and goals, new thoughts, new feelings. We see everything differently and we see the kingdom of God. Suddenly there it is. I see it in Jesus. God gives us everything we need. He gives us eyes to see a new heart. He gives us the ability to not be ruled by our sins. Gives us strength to obey him. And he takes our record of sin and disobedience and exchanges it for the perfect record of Jesus. That's a miracle. That is amazing. Jesus died for the sins that you and I earned. We earned those sins. Jesus was a good guy. Only one that's ever lived. Think about that. Only person ever in all of history where we could truly say that man was good. He died and was killed on the cross for our mess. And he was the good guy, right? And the only good guy. Amen.
He took it for us. He died for the sins you and I earned. And every person who believes gets the, the rewards of his obedience. We get the rewards of what he did. He got our garbage. We get, we get to rule with him. We get to reign with him one day. We get eternal life. We get to have fellowship with God. All of these things that he accomplished. And all of this God does because he loves his broken creation. He loves you and loves me. This is what moved him to do it. He did not have to do it. That's the miracle, guys. This did not have to happen. God willed to die for this world and for you and for me because he loved us. Believe this is the story you were made for. Forsake all the fool's gold of the world and seek the real treasure of the kingdom of God. And this leads us to point number three. The third way that we see that this treasure is no ordinary treasure is that this treasure is not a medium of exchange. I'm going to explain what I mean, okay? It's not a medium of exchange, right? When most people go out with their metal detectors, go back to the, where we started here with the metal detector picture, they're looking for something they can sell or exchange, right? At least that's what I would be doing. I've never done that before, but that's what I'd be doing. They hope to find a gold ring or hopefully not on a dead finger. They're looking for a gold ring or a watch or perhaps an ancient artifact of some kind that they can then turn and make money on. I mean, there are people out there that are enthusiasts, you know, that, that love to study history and are just wanting to enrich the world with, you know, historical artifacts and so on. There are those uh, types for sure. But the average guy out in the yard with a metal detector is not looking for like some scroll or some, you know, old gold brick with a certain symbol on it, right? He's trying to make money, right? He's trying to say, oh, I'm going to go exchange this. Like recently we watched uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Not super kid-friendly movie, by the way. Um, we, were watch- we watched that one. And Indiana Jones is an archaeologist who travels the world looking for lost things. And then he turns and sells them to museums for a huge profit. Right? This is what he was doing. Okay? And this is what a lot of people out there do. But that is not the way this treasure before us in Matthew 13 works. This is not that kind of treasure. There are some who would want to obtain this treasure somehow and then turn around and use it for worldly gain. But this treasure can't be used that way. This is not that kind of thing. Notice how the person in these parables, what do they do? They say, to heck with everything else. I want this treasure of treasures. It's the total opposite. Their goal is not some other thing. Let me get this treasure so then I can go get the real thing that I want. No, they say, I don't want anything else. I want this. I have found the answer to everything I've been looking for. The only kind of people who discover the kingdom treasure are the people who are not holding on to the world. The world has failed them. The world has wrecked them. They see no life, no goodness, no water in the world. But I see it in the kingdom. And I want that treasure. Those are the people that find the kingdom of God and find the treasure. Those who are willing to let go of the world and to have this. If you see the treasure of the kingdom as a means to wealth or to some other thing, as a means to some other thing, 
I'm going to suggest you're looking for some other treasure. You're not looking. You're still not yet to see the real treasure of the kingdom. The treasure you're looking for is not the one described here by Jesus. Jesus is not a means to some other greater, more valuable, precious thing or person or situation. He is the end. The women of the church are getting ready to start reading through a book about a woman named Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth's first husband was a man named Jim. And Jim and Elizabeth were missionaries to Ecuador in the 1950s. Jim was killed while sharing the gospel with a tribe in Ecuador. And Jim is famous for saying these words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The treasure of the kingdom of God is one worth giving up all other treasures for. Jesus said, when you see this treasure, when you discover this treasure, nothing else compares. This is the treasure of treasures. Well, what exactly is this treasure? There's a lot we could say about it, but I'm going to try in just a sentence or two give you a sense of what this treasure is. This treasure is the joy and the blessing of knowing God and being in right relationship with him. That is the treasure. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he sent into the world. That's eternal life. That's everything. This treasure is not the means to some other more valuable more secure, more costly thing. So I want you as we close here and turn to the table to think about your life for a moment. It can be uncomfortable to look in the mirror, but it's good and right to do it from time to time. We don't want to navel gaze all the time, but it's good to look inside here and there, right? When you look at your life, what do you see? What are the treasures you are seeking after? What are the things you're spending your money on? Where are you spending your time? Who do you spend your time with? What is your work? What do you think about? These things will reveal your treasures. What do you see? Maybe, for you to wrestle with, some of these things are getting in the way of your seeking the true treasure. Maybe some of these would be things that need to be sacrificed for the sake of having the ultimate treasure. Maybe you're not discovering the true treasure because you're holding on to something in this world. Just a thought. Or maybe for some of you, you're seeking the right treasure, but you're seeking it in the wrong way. With worldly thoughts and ideas Remember, this is no ordinary treasure. It cannot be seen or discovered like other treasures. You must seek it and find it with the eyes of faith. If that's something you'd like to talk a little bit more about after the service, these thoughts are new or you've never taken that step before, I would love to talk with you after the service is over. So I invite you to do that. Well, that's what the Lord had burdened me to share with you this morning. Praise God for his word and his truth and for this treasure of knowing him. 
And that's what this table is all about. This table is a picture of relationship with Christ that we have together as a body. So as we prepare to come to the table, I'd like to pray. So if you would, bow your heads with me. And we will pray as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper here. Oh God, we are thankful that this treasure we've just heard about is something that uh, is offered to us and freely given to us. We don't have to do anything or be anything to receive it. In fact, receiving the treasure really is to empty ourselves of all these other things. It is to say, I bring nothing except my need to this table. I am empty and I'm broken and I cannot do what you call me to do, Lord. With our open hands, we come to you, O God. With all of our need and all of our sin and our mess. And you are so generous and kind and grace-filled to just freely give us all of these things, this great treasure. Lord, thank you. There's nothing more we can say than that. We're grateful. I pray if any heart here today may not understand, Holy Spirit, come and speak to their hearts. Make sense of these things. If they sound like a parable, if I'm not making sense, Holy Spirit, come, I pray, and teach these things to each heart in this place. We ask now as we come to the table that these elements would be to us, the body and the blood of Christ, and that through this moment we would be strengthened and helped and comforted and taught and nourished and emboldened, Lord. We live in a world that is more and more seemingly hostile and far from you. Oh, Lord, use this time to strengthen us. And to break our hearts for our neighbors and to to give us true compassion and love for the people around us. You laid your life down and that's what we're remembering in this table. Let us lay ours down as well for our community. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.